We're going to start something today that maybe you're going to want to be a part of and join us wherever home is for you. And you can join us online every Sunday morning. Uh, but anyway, we're glad to have uh, you with us today. This is a season of anticipation, uh, right? I mean, we've just uh, anticipated Thanksgiving and now we're 27 days away uh, from Christmas. Um, so we're anticipating that. But with this season, it comes with so much anticipation. I mean, anticipating Good Friday, uh, Black Friday, excuse me, not Good Friday, Black Friday, uh, the, and what kind of savings are going to be out there. How many of y'all bought something on Black Friday? Raise your hand, whether you did it online or you did it in a store. Raise your hand. Nobody shopped. Be proud of that, okay? You maybe saved some money. Now, those of you who raised your hand... Did you buy something for yourself? Raise your hand back up there, because that was all that I bought for. All right, it's a great day to shop for yourself, right? You anticipate family, good, bad, and ugly uh, of the family. It's an, a season of anticipation. You anticipate traditions. There are certain dishes that we bring out and we put on the table that we don't bring out any other time of the year, but we anticipate that that recipe. We anticipate certain activities. Uh, for example, we're going to be having uh, uh, jingle jams. That's one of those family events that's going to be coming up in a few weeks, and I hope that you're going to be a part of that. Bring your family and participate in a in a night of, of just celebration with the kids and the family together. And so p- please be a part of that, and you can sign up for all that. In fact, everything you can sign up for to, today, I'm going to talk about everything related to Christmas. You can just go text in uh, to 97000. Uh, you can text it in to uh, GPC promise, because that's the entire theme of, the, of this year. And in the mere fact that we're talking about a promise, that is a, is a, is a, is a, is a feeling of anticipation. And that's the theme of our, of our, our of our Christmas season. And, and another one of those traditions, I don't know about for you, but for, for us for a lot of years now has been our Christmas Eve gatherings, our Christmas Eve worship. And I want to invite you to be a part of that, bring family and friends and be a part. We're going to have four different gatherings. So there's lots to choose from. And we are still going to try to cap each one of those services. So figure out which one you're going to be a part of. Join in, be a part, bring family and friends. And again, you can text in and save your spot. But another anticipation is the gifts, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but there's already probably in your home some little ones or not in your home right now. There will be in your home that will be anticipating gifts Gifts is one of those things, and uh, I, I think whether you're giving gifts or you're receiving gifts, there's an anticipation in that. And this year, when we talk about giving gifts, that's one of those things that I actually enjoy. As, as, as much as I resort give receiving, I also enjoy the giving element of it and seeing the anticipation in that. Uh, I'm not the Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, you know, that, that, that person who was the, uh, the narcissist who was a cranky old person, but yet he found joy uh, in helping and in giving. So please, I would encourage you, if you don't build it into the traditions of your family, build it in now, train up your children in this way, and the joy of generosity, of giving, not just receiving. And the sooner you do that, the more it will become a part of their nature and a part of who they are. One of the things that we are doing, and we do this every year, is we have a, a focused 
area of generosity that we as a church come together and we're going to help out. Well, this year, we're going to be helping launch a ministry called Hagar Ministries in Athens. We got a lot more information online for you. Again, you can find that, but it's about helping women largely, but people who are caught in the sex trafficking industry that is largely in Athens, Greece. It's a part of our ongoing partnership in Greece, and we're, we are helping to start George and Allison as they launch out into this new ministry. And here's what I'd ask you to do. Carve off, when you're making your list of who you're buying gifts for, would you add one more name in there? Add Hagar. Just Hagar. Because Hagar Ministries is really about a, a trafficking story in the book of Genesis chapter 16, when somebody is literally trafficked uh, and to as a surrogate mother, if you will, and it's a, it's they're launching their ministry based on Genesis 16 to help women uh, who are caught in that. So generosity, build it in now, but it's also the joy of receiving. Receiving those gifts whenever they come in, what's going to be in the gift, who's a part of that gift. It's like you look at the gift and you immediately start wondering, whose is it? One of the first things you do when you pick up a gift is you look at whose is it, who's it from, and then you start uh, then assessing what is on the inside. But the mere wrapping of a gift speaks of anticipation, that, that, I, that there's something about that gift that uh, gives promise. You don't even know what it is. Maybe you do know what it is. Maybe you ask for something and you think it's what it is, but it's like you don't have all the details. So the mere fact that we give gifts and receive gifts. There's a bit of anticipation. Uh, we're going to be talking about promise, and whenever you look at a gift, it's a promise. But you yet, you, it may have your name on it, but you don't have it yet. And so here's what I, here's how I define a promise. A promise is a reality not yet realized. A reality not yet realized. It's something that's yours, but it's not yet yours. You may have your name on it, but you haven't been given the gift yet. You haven't unwrapped it. You don't know all of the, its intricacies of that gift. It's, it's, a, it's a promise. It's a reality. It's going to be yours, but it's yet not yet reality in your life. A promissory note is a, is a, is a, is a form of that. When you write a check, remember the old days when you used to write a check? You'd go and buy something. You'd write a check. You'd give them a piece of paper saying that I have this amount of money in the bank. I'm making a promise to you that that money's going to be there when you cash that check. That's a promise. It's a reality before it's a reality in you. And Jesus, the Scriptures, Jesus and all throughout the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, somebody has taken the time to go through the Scriptures and to count up the number of promises that God has recorded. 7,474 promises. I did not go verify that, okay? I did not count them all up. I'm going to take the guy who took the time or the lady who took the time to count those up. I'm going to take their word for it. 7,474 promises in Scripture. A lot of times, again, we don't have it yet, but it's a promise that we will have it. It's, it's not a reality, but yet it's a reality that it will be our reality one day. I like God's promises, but I love God's covenants. I like God's promises, but I love God's covenants because God's covenants is like a promise on steroids. It's like a promise that, that it's, 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 it's magnified. 
It, it's like a promise that, that is, is, is solidified by the character of the person who's given it. It's typically in writing, write, written. It's, it typically has ceremony behind it. It typically has certain processes and pomp and circumstance with it. It's, it a covenant is so much bigger than just a promise. When you look at the Bible, there are 36, from Genesis to Revelation, there are 36 different covenants in the Scriptures. 36 different covenants. Now, not all of them are covenants between God and man. In fact, most of them are between one king to another king. Using the suzerain uh, form of covenant, where there's a suzerain, which is a higher king, and he connects with a lower king, a vassal king. It's a Near Eastern process of, of creating an agreement with one another. A covenant is what God makes with us. This is a book of covenants. It is an old covenant and there is a new covenant. We call it Old Testament. We call it New Testament. This is a book of covenants. Now of the 38, 12 covenants, or actually, excuse me, 13 covenants are God's covenants with humanity. 12 of them are in the Old Testament. One is in the New Testament. That's going to be significant come Christmas Eve night. That's going to make sense. Why is there 12 in the Old Testament? Why is there only one in the New Testament? That will be significant on Christmas Eve night. But a covenant is so much bigger. It's legally binding. It, it, again, it is, a, it is, it is something that, that you can bank on, banked on the character of the person who has given it to us. In this season, of those 12 Old Testament covenants, we're going to look at four of them. But here's what you're going to see beginning this week. That each one of these four covenants builds on the others. Picks up almost where the last one leaves off. And that covenant is building to a climax of what's going to be the new covenant that one covenant of Jesus coming and establishing a new covenant with us in the New Testament. The promises, these promised covenants that we're going to look at starting today is that God wants to bless us. That's the first covenant that we're going to look at. Secondly, we're going to look at next week, God wants to guide us. And as he's guiding us, he's leading us on a path in a particular direction. We'll talk about that next week. God wants to reign over us. It's a covenant that he makes with David. But then in Jeremiah, Jeremiah mentions that God wants to save us. Each one of these covenants is building to the final covenant when God comes to us. And as you see these fleshed out over the next few weeks, you're going to begin to look at the Old Testament in a totally different lens. You're going to say, oh, Genesis isn't just over here and Revelation's over here. No, you're going to look at Genesis and you're going to go, wow, that is totally the beginning of a story that God is unveiling to us that happened. So I want us to go back today to 1995 B.C. 1995 B.C., not A.D. I want to go back to 1995 B.C. because that's when many people believe that a man named Abram was born in a place called Ur. Say that with me, Ur. You are Ur of the Chaldeans. 
Babylon, modern Babylon. And he was born there, and yet some years later, he would be called from there by God to go to a place. He would go from Ur to Haran. From from Haran, God would call him to a new land. And he would establish with Abraham a covenant not the first covenant. The first covenant's with, with Adam. The second covenant that you find in Scripture is with Noah. But I want to focus in on the covenants that happen from David, excuse me, from Abraham to Moses to David to what Jeremiah mentions to what Jesus fulfills. Because what we see is Jesus will bring them all together. Let's talk about the idea of blessing today. Genesis chapter 12. Let's see where the promise is given. Again, everything's about promise. Everything's about God's covenant promise with us. Something of reality that is not yet reality. And for Abram, 2,000 years before Jesus were to come, was to come, it is not a reality yet. But yet God is talking to him as if it is a reality. When he says in chapter 12, verse 1, And the Lord said to Abram, Go from the country, from the kindred from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now notice every time you see I will. The covenant relationship that God establishes with Abram is very important that you see that this is a unilateral covenant. We're going to talk about next week a bilateral covenant. This is a unilateral covenant. This is God making a covenant with Abram. It is a one-way covenant. I will do this. Not I will do this if you do that. That's next week. This week is I will. It is a promise. It's a guarantee. You can't mess this up, Abram. I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. Notice the blessing theme. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will dishonor those who, uh, and who dishonors you. I will curse. And you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. When I say that God is making a blessing covenant. He's making it with Abram. He said it's a unilateral covenant. It's with Abram and God is saying he's going to do this no matter what Abram does. And Abram's going to fail. He's going to have days of lack of faith and he's going to have days where he's going to mess up and he's going to have days where he's going to lie. And he's there's, there's so many times he is so imperfect, but God says, despite all of that, despite all of your imperfections, I will do this. I will do this. I'm going to establish a covenant with you, and it will be to bless you. Now, what does the word blessing mean? I mean, it's such a churchy word. It's such a word that we don't even use in our everyday vocabulary. What does blessing mean? One of my Old Testament professors put it like this in the most English, simple way. It just means flourishing. But not just flourishing that I'm successful, not just flourishing because I'm healthy. It's flourishing body, soul, and spirit. 
that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to cause your soul to flourish, your body to flourish, your life to flourish. In fact, he will go on and he will establish this covenant and he will make it very clear what he is going to do. But I want us to see this. When you look at the blessed life, what is the blessed life? Because it is Abraham's covenant. But hear this, hear this, hear this. It is God's covenant with you as well. This is not just a man way back in the Old Testament, 2,000 years before Jesus was born. This is a covenant that you will see before the end of this message that it applies to you and to me today. The very first thing we need to understand about the blessed life is that we get to live with hope and anticipation. It is a life of hope and anticipation. It is a life of living with the not yet and being okay with that. I don't have to have it all right now. I can live in the not yet and I can anticipate that because God said what he would going to, going to do, he will make good on what he's going to do in his time. And boy, does Abraham and Sarah get that. To the land that I will show you, Abram, it says in verse 4, so Abram went to the, the land that he had told him. God makes this unilateral covenant with him. He says, I'm going to give you fame, I'm going to give you favor, and I'm going to give you a family. In verse 2, he says, and I will make you a great nation. Now, you've got to understand about the time. Abram is 75 years old when he gets this covenant promise. He's not thinking at 75, I want to start a family. Sarah's not thinking at 75, or actually she's a few years younger than him. She's not thinking at 65, I'm ready to start a family. But yet God says, we're going to have a, you're going to have a family. You're going to be blessed. And okay, it's like, when are we going to start this family now? I'm, 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 I'm up there in years. 25 years later, before Abraham receives that promised child. So much so that he even tries to fill in the gaps for God. Hey, can I, can I use my servant over here as the heir? Hey, I'm going to go sleep with Hagar and she's going to produce a child, Ishmael. That's going to just create another whole, another mess in this world to this day. No, no, no. God had a plan. And what we have to learn to do is when we're going to live the blessed life is that we have to learn to live in the not yet and to be okay with that. Chapter 15, go over there, is where we really see the covenant become a reality because it doesn't happen in chapter 12. That's only the promise of a covenant. And then in chapter 15, it becomes the covenant. In verse 2 now, a few years later, and Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? I, uh, for I continue childless, and an heir of my house is Eliezer a Damask, of Damascus. Basically, he said, I don't have a child yet. You promised me a child. I'm about to die. Can Eleazar be my heir? No, it's not God's plan. God has a plan and it's not yet. The blessed life is living with anticipation and hope. But right now he's having a low faith moment. And and Abram said, behold, you have not given me, uh, you've given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be an heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now God speaks back to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought me outside and he said, look up to the heavens and the number of the stars and the number of them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. 
And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was a faith-renewing time. It's a not-yet moment. You promised me a son. You promised me more children than the stars of the... But not yet. See, the blessed life is you don't have to have it right now. You can live in the not yet because there's hope and anticipation. Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane, who passed away due to an epidemic in the land when he was 30 years of age, talked about in his pastoring years, early years obviously, the adversity of faith. The adversity of faith. He says, when God gives a promise... He always tries our faith. Just as the roots of trees take firmer hold when they are contending for the wind, so faith takes firmer hold when it struggles with adverse appearances. What was he saying? God made a promise. A reality was not yet a reality. That 25 years later, 24 years later, they still don't have a child. But God was going to make good on his promises. But there was going to be an adversity to his faith. So when I talk about a blessed life, I'm not talking about everything is up and to the right. I'm not talking about everything's going to go smooth. I'm not talking about a blessed life is you get everything that you want when you want it. A blessed life is a life of hope and anticipation even in the not yet. What has God told you he would do that's not yet there? Can you find hope and anticipation still that God is at work? Number two, to live with significance more than for success. Whenever success, now again, let me say this. It is a false dichotomy to say that you you can't be successful or you can be successful but you can't be significant. It's a false dichotomy to say that you can't be accomplished in this world or or have money in this world. No, no, no. Listen, if we just look out there, we are a very blessed people. If you don't think you're blessed, go to this website, howrichami.org. Plug in a few numbers and you'll find that you're probably in the top 10 to 15% of the richest people in the world. So we are blessed. We're blessed as a people, we're blessed as a nation, we're blessed as an individuals. But when my success becomes my focus, I'm missing the blessing of significance. What I need to do is marry my significance and my success together. What has God done in my life? How has God blessed my life? Where has God taken my life? How has God shaped my life? Here's the life principle for you. We are blessed to be a blessing. It's not just I'm blessed. I get to flourish so that I can flourish more and flourish more and flourish more. No, I am blessed body, soul, and spirit so that I can help somebody else be blessed, flourish body, soul, and spirit. This is what God told Abram in his his covenant with him. In verse 2, he says, I will bless you and make your name great so that. Purpose clause. You want to know what your purpose in life is? Purpose clause. So that you will be a blessing. This is the blessed life is that I get the blessings that God has entrusted to me. 
I get the life experiences. I get the talents and skills. I get the spiritual benefit of, of being in a relationship with God so that I can take that blessing and pass it on to those who don't have it. It is not just so I can flourish. When I think about the shape that I am in, I'm not talking about the body shape. I'm talking about the shape that God has made me. When I'm thinking about how can I leverage my blessings to be a blessing? That needs to be a question I just ask. How can I leverage my blessings to be a blessing? And when you think about shape, think about it in the form of an acronym. God has given every one of us spiritual gifts. God has given every one of us a not only spiritual gifts, but he's given us a heart something that we're passionate about. He's given us abilities. He's given us a personality. He's given us life experiences. Now, how can I take all that God has shaped in me and how can I use it as a, as a blessing gift to someone else? So as I serve in a ministry of our church, and by the way, it takes nearly over, over 300 people every week, Wednesday night and, 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 and Sunday morning, just to be a blessing to the kids to be a blessing to the people who come on the on the campus for the very first time. That's, that's a way that I can use the blessings, the, the way that God has shaped me into other people's lives. Some people are living the Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 life really well. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift from God. Not a result of works, since you would boast. God bless you. God's poured out his grace into your life. Isn't that awesome? That's a beautiful promise of how I come into faith. A beautiful promise of his blessing is that his grace pours into my life. But we're not living a Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 life. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love it when people take their spiritual gifts, their heart, their passions, their personalities. They take that all and they say, okay, God, you've blessed my life. I'm going to be a blessing. How are you leveraging your blessings from God? Not what you don't have, the blessings that you do. How are you leveraging that for the blessing? I love Robert and Lindsay, family of our church that left a few years ago, works in the supplier chain world community out there raise their hand to move to a country where there's predominantly Buddhists, where you can't not be a missionary and live there. They raised their hand and said, I'll be willing to go there. We commissioned them on this stage. They are now living there. They've lived there for years. And I love how Lindsay is pouring herself into the refugee ministry right there in that country where she can't be a missionary and the supplier community is paying her to be there. What if you took your careers and leveraged your career to be a blessing to some place that does not have the flourishing truth of God. So in every area of your life, how am I leveraging the blessings that God has given me? God should get our first and our best in every area. To be a blessing, I give God my first and my best. I give him the first minutes of my day, the first day out of every week, I give him the first dime out of every dollar. I give him the first consideration out of every decision. When I give him my first and my best, 
I'm now beginning to take the blessings that God has given me and I'm becoming a blessing to others. I want to close with this last one of the blessing. To live with less so that you can live for more. Learning how, what it means to live under the blessing of God. Under that Abrahamic blessing is so important. That, excuse me, that Abrahamic covenant relationship. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. It was chapter 15. Chapter 12 is where he makes the promise. Chapter 15 is where he makes the covenant. Ratifies it. Ceremonially ratifies it. This is what it says in chapter 15, verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So what does that mean to really make a suzerain covenant, as I talked about earlier? This Near Eastern covenant that was used in Egypt, used among the Hittites, it's, it's literally what the Old Testament model for making a covenant because there's different ways you can make a covenant. Okay, literally, there, there are four ways you can make a covenant in, in Scripture. One is by a simple handshake. Now, that's not far from what we might do in the old days of old when you'd promise somebody something, you'd shake on it, and it's, 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 it's reality, okay? It's going to be a reality even if it's not a reality. It's like writing a check. This is my handshake to you that that money is in the bank. So that's not that far from us. Then there's the shoe covenant. So whenever I take off my shoe, you take off your shoe, and we swap shoes. That was a form of a covenant making, okay? Hope they don't have athlete's feet. You take off your sandal, I take off my sandal, we swap shoes, we swap sandals. Therefore, every time I walk, as I live out my life, I'm walking in your shoes, remembering I made a covenant with you. It's a shoe covenant. There's also a salt covenant where I would take a pinch of salt because you'd carry your salt with you. Salt would be to preserve life. Salt, uh, salt would be to add flavor to life. There's so many things that you could do with salt. And, and you would take a pinch of salt from your pocket and I would give it to you and you'd take a pinch of salt from your pocket and give it to me. It's a form of a covenant. It's not the covenants that are used in Genesis chapter 15. The covenant that is used is the most solemn covenant. It's called a blood covenant. When you look at the scriptures, you'll see the blood covenant played out because this is the most, this is the, the, the cutting covenant. This is the covenant where there's this bringing together. It's the most sacrificial covenant. It's the most buy-in kind of covenant. It's, it's in essence, I'm saying, if I don't fulfill this covenant, may I die just like that animal died. That's the level of a commitment that this blood covenant is. If you look at chapter 15, look at verse 7. I'm going to read this so that you can see it. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you a land. Remember I said he's going to give him fame, he's going to give him family, he's going to give him land. It's part of the promise. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said, bring out a heifer, three years old, and a goat, three years old, and a ram, three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them out, all of these, and he cut them in half. And he laid them, each half, over against the other. 
But he did not cut the birds in half. And when he, the birds were a prey, uh, came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So this is a very sacred moment. Okay, he cuts this sacrifice. He puts them there side by side. Now notice the next part. When the sun had gone down, verse 17, he said it was dark. Behold, a smoke of fire and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So just imagine a three-year-old heifer divided in half, half here, half there. And what would happen is the person who's making the covenant with the person would set these on fire. So there's a smoke rising up and he would walk between them. And he's saying, if I do not fulfill this covenant, may the same thing happen to me that happened to these animals. Mike, this is, this is again, this is that suzerain vassal treaty that's going on here. He's saying, listen, this is an agreement that we're making with each other. God is saying, I'm making a covenant that if I don't fulfill it, may my very character as God be subject. So God is putting his name on the line. And it is believed that whenever the person passes through the pieces in verse 17, that it is God passing through. Why is this whole live with less to have more? Why is that? Because for a person to be a suzerain, the, the, the superior king, he has a vassal king who person who has his own sovereignty, but he says, listen, I'm going to yield myself to you. The, the, the suzerain king, I'm going to yield myself to you and I will be the vassal king because I know that you love me. The, we, the closest thing that we have in our society for this is a contract. But a contract is not a covenant. A contract says, I'm looking out for my interest. You're looking out for your interest and we're going to come to some agreement. But a covenant is not based on distrust, which is a contract. A covenant is based on love and trust. That I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to yield my sovereignty to your sovereignty. So what God is doing here, he says, I'm going to be the sovereign one in this. And so what does God promise him to, that he would do? In chapter 15, verse 1, he says exactly what he says. The Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward. I'm going to be the one who's going to see this through. This, Abr- this covenant with Abram is talked about to all the patriarchs. It's talked about with Moses, and we'll see that next week. David anchors his faith to the Abrahamic covenant. Zacharias' benediction in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, refers back to the Abrahamic covenant. Peter preached on the Abrahamic covenant in Acts chapter 3. Hebrews, it talks about it. The, one of the last books that was brought into the New Testament. And let me, let me show you this passage. It says, and when God made a promise to Abraham saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham's having patiently waited, obtained a promise so that when God desired to show him convincingly to the heirs of the promise, an unchangeable character of his purpose. God puts his character on the line. He makes a promise 
and he puts his character on the line. Now notice this next statement. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. What is this promise of Abraham? What is in this gift that God has given us? It's a stead. I, I, can't, I can't tell you everything, but I can tell you this. It's a steadfast anchor for your soul. When you enter into a covenant relationship with God, you are entering in to a relationship with steadfast covenant. We just sang the song about being an anchor to our soul. One more passage and I'm finished. Just as Abraham, Galatians chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. By the way, we just read that in Genesis. We're now reading it in the New Testament. Abraham was born as in a pagan nation under a pagan theology that worshipped the sun, the moon, and the stars. And God called him out of his disbelief in the Most High God, calls him out of that paganism, and calls him to follow the Most High God. Calls him into a different relationship. Abraham accepts it. He believes. He goes. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Don't miss that. If you have faith in Jesus, you're the son, daughter of Abraham. Just like Abraham was saved through believing in the Most High God, so your faith is built on Abraham's covenant. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The gospel was being preached in the Old Testament. In chapter 12 of Genesis, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. Why is the Abrahamic blessing so important? Why is the Abrahamic so important? Why? Because I am blessed just like Abraham was blessed. Go back 2,000 years before Jesus was born. And you're going to find a little boy born in Ur of Chaldeans, growing up in a pagan world, being called from that paganism to follow the Most High God. Now, go 2,000 years after Jesus was born, and you'll come to our day. And no matter where you are, no matter who you are, that same blessing that was on Abraham can be on you today. If you go into this Christmas season not living underneath the blessing covenant, you will miss it. I'll tell you this, you will not find a flourishing, blessed life, body, soul, and spirit outside of Jesus Christ. Outside of a covenant relationship built on trust with Jesus. It's more than a religion. It's more than just this Old Testament story. It is the Old Testament that leads us to the New Testament. And really, old and new get lost. They have have baggage. It really should be the first covenant tied to the second covenant, which is the final covenant 
of God. It's a reality before it's a reality based on the very character of God. Do you know it? Do you know it? Father God, I pray in this space right now. There's a lot of history, a lot of scripture, a lot of symbolism, a lot of things in this passage of scripture today. It's so easy to get lost in and and just kind of zone out. But God, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that we will not miss the power of the blessing covenant that you made with Abraham. That the same blessing covenant that saved a Babylonian boy that made a Hebrew nation is the same blessing that we can live under today. Thank you, Jesus, for being a God of the promise. For being a reality. Maybe before some of us really live in the reality of who you are. God, I pray that in this season, you will help us to appreciate and worship you like never before as we live in the blessing of your covenant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?